Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening. I'm Tony Kinnett here on 93 WIBC. Now let's get to the news. Democrats are fracturing in Congress. And and I don't mean fracturing is like maybe there's a few small tizzies. There's a, a small family fight over Thanksgiving. I mean, this is a full down Jerry Springer mess that the Democrats have on their hands. And it really couldn't have come at a worse time. You would think that after the momentous election victory that the liberals enjoyed uh, just a couple of days ago would have pushed them through to perhaps a moment of celebration and unity or knowing the Democrats a good helping of gloating. And that's not what's going on at all. So first of all, we have to start with Senator John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, because this man is weird. This is the guy who wears hoodies to Congress. This is the guy who, uh, I guess, had multiple strokes, yet his doctor lied and said he was perfectly fine. And then now Fetterman is still telling people that he has strokes and can't understand their questions. This is a guy that is bonko bizarre. And uh, apparently his condition of depression or post-stroke stress or whatever the deal is with the sitting senator of Pennsylvania has gotten so bad that he's started upsetting his own party. So uh, as a lot of people know, uh, the Democrat Party is the place where the anti-Israel movement is growing rather quickly, especially from the younger Democrats, from the millennials and Generation Z. And uh, there was a major protest that's the latest in a series of protests outside of the White House, outside of the Capitol building over the last couple of weeks. And uh, as Senator Fetterman was walking past this crowd of uh, anti-Israeli pro-Hamas protesters, he started to uh, wave a flag for Israel. Here's what that looked like. Waving an Israeli flag at him as, as the, the crowd of young baristas uh, start shouting shame. And, and that is just hilarious. AOC, the squad on the other side, the young progressive caucus who is running to uh, burn the country in nuclear fire. Uh, AOC is running around Congress saying, you know, I told you guys not to upset the anti-Semites. So so now it's the Biden administration and the White House's fault for uh, stoking up fears from radical jihadists who are beating Jews to death on the streets of America. Here is uh, AOC telling people that actually it's the White House's fault that we have uh, anti-Semites. This is an issue that I've been warning the party about for a long time, that young people have been increasingly concerned about the the status of human rights of Palestinians for years now, and it has been growing and growing, and I think what young people really want to see is an assertive stance from this administration. I mean, just 
stellar stuff. Fantastic. Absolutely love it. And uh, it's not even popular among Democrats that, that aren't just perhaps in the upper age brackets, but even in the Generation X and the older millennial brackets, 20 of whom, 20 of these Democrats sided with Republicans to censure Representative Rashida Tlaib, uh, you know, the very openly pro-Hamas congresswoman from Michigan, which is just fantastic. Uh, President Biden is also not escaping this media fray. Biden is receiving additional scorn as more media outlets and even Democrats in Congress discover that he's a dementia-ridden old man. And uh, basically, he's been completely unfit to serve as president of the United States for his entire presidency. And they're terrified that if they push him up against whoever the GOP nominee is, which, by the way, it is not set in stone who that is. Uh, I wait until the first primary to make my call as far as that's concerned. Biden doesn't look like he's going to be able to bring it over the finish line. Heck, it doesn't even look like he's able to tie his own shoes. And so you've got all of these Democrats that are starting to question whether Biden should get the nomination. My prediction is Biden does not make it to be the nominee. My prediction would be Gavin Newsom and someone else, because as Guy Relford, the gun guy, points out, uh, Kamala Harris cannot be Gavin Newsom's VP because they are both from the same the same state. So. Here is something that's just extra fantastic. Gavin Newsom, uh, the most popular of, of Democrat governors, maybe outside of Shapiro in Pennsylvania, he uh, <laughs> is receiving a little bit of scorn from none other than John Fetterman over his shadow campaign, apparently, to be the next Democrat nominee. Here's what that sounded like. Now, there are two, there are two additional Democrats running for Pennsylvania, excuse me, running for president right now. One, one is a congressman from Minnesota. The other one is the governor of California. (laughs) They're both running for president, but only one had the guts to announce it. I mean, it's, it's just truly fantastic as a conservative to just pull up your finest bucket of Indiana grown popcorn and watch this chaos take place. And it gets worse because the Dems are likely screwed in West Virginia. The only reason, the only reason that the Democrats had a senator from West Virginia is because Joe Manchin was this 90s labor Democrat through and through who talked a lot about the manufacturing industry, the coal industry, and he was already starting to sour with West Virginian voters because he screwed them over so many times in recent votes with green energy proposals and a lot of other shenanigans. He's just announced that he's not seeking re-election in 2024. Which means that uh, the Democrats have a whopping zero people to put up in West Virginia that could earn the extremely conservative West Virginian vote. So given that Republicans currently don't have a plan to win the 2024 election, they need all the help they can get. And boy, it looks like the Democrats are giving it to them hand over fist. Uh, Over 100 congressional staffers are currently on strike demanding a ceasefire for Gaza. Uh, saying that Israel should not be surrounding Gaza City and executing Hamas terrorists, uh, but they should stop and, you know, just be slaughtered instead. Again, this is the, the crowd that AOC warned you that you really shouldn't upset. Well, let's talk a little bit about a, a Hamas-Israel ceasefire for just a moment. Only one side wants the ceasefire, and that is Hamas. And uh, they want it so they can dig their heels in even more and prepare additional strikes against Israel. And you say, Tony, how do you know this? First of all, Hamas isn't actually concerned at all about its own citizens in Palestine. In fact, they are shooting people, shooting their own civilians that are fleeing south to avoid the war. Here's what that looks like. (laughs) 
absolutely atrocious. These are animals that are shooting innocent people that are fleeing Palestine uh, controlled Gaza to head south. Uh, It gets worse because even as the media of the West tries desperately to make Hamas look as though they are innocent, they are victims of a crime, uh, the Hamas terrorists are holed up on the inside of hospitals and forcing patients to stay in hospitals as combatants fire out of the windows. And even so that Al Jazeera, which is the, uh, excuse me, even so that Al Jazeera, that is the Muslim news programming uh, service in that part of the world, which has been kicked out of Israel for feeding information to Hamas, was caught in a live stream filming on the inside of one of the Gazan hospitals and accidentally caught Gaza using it as a staging point for an anti-Israel attack. Here's what that looked like. <laughs> Al Jazeera, like many of their other accidental broadcasts that show Hamas being who they really are, uh, took that down very soon after they had started live streaming it. And this is the point that I really want to nail home here. If a group from the Sinaloa cartel members, the Sinaloa cartel is one of the largest cartels out of Mexico, crossed the border and then raped and killed 1,500 American women and children, then retreated back across the southern border to their strongholds in Mexico City, Tepic, Toluca, we would not rest until each and every member of the Sinaloa cartel was dead. We wouldn't. And, and by the way, that would not be the first time that the United States had gone into Mexico to set things straight. So for all of the talk from young progressives about ceasefires, it's very easy to look across the sea and uh, cover up a very explicit anti-Semitic mass rape and murder uh, because you're upset at the people uh, who are fighting back against those using human shields. Up next, we're going to be talking to Sarab Sharma. Uh, who is the president of American Moment Organization, an organization that Politico is quite frankly terrified because they are working on equipping Generation Z and the millennials to basically take over the swamp from the inside. Fantastic stuff. He's just been named the executive director of the Edmund Burke Foundation, and uh, he's an old colleague of mine. We're going to talk a little bit about what he has for the next generation here on the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIB. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Look, one of the most critical flaws in the Republican Party is investing in the next generation. We absolutely suck at it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, look, we're downright abysmal. I walk into GOP committees and meetings in Indianapolis, Chicago, D.C., Columbus, Austin, Madison, and it is just pathetic. It's ancient men and then three or four overweight goobers who went to a state college and then graduated with a political science degree who think that knocking on doors is the only strategy Republicans have. And it's really depressing because with every passing election, I reach out to representatives either on the Hill and who am I talking to? Talking to their staffers. Uh, I reach out to state representatives and senators. Who am I talking to? Their staffers who do three or four minutes of Google research 
consider that a job well done. So the representatives that they're serving are often just as garbage. And this is the future that we're looking at with the Republican Party. If it wasn't for guys with boots on the ground, training a group of young men and women, not to just breeze casually in and act like they own the world, but to retake the establishment, arguably the biggest challenge of all time, one junior staffing position at a time. And they're so good at it that all of the major political organizations and magazines, publications in the world are not only starting to take notice, they're writing full feature pieces on their operation because no one, and I mean no one, is doing work like they are. Joining us today is president of American Moment and also the new executive director of the Edmund Burke Foundation, Saurabh Sharma. It is so good to have you here, dude. Thanks for having me on, man. So you're training this new group of heavyweight champions. And I've seen some of these people because they're starting to pop up all over. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled. Tell me a little bit about what American Moment does. Uh, just give us the 30-second the elevator tour. For sure, Tony. So look, um, all the people that you vote for, that you might write checks for, that you see on the news, they are just the thin skin outer layer of how politics actually works. The truth is that there are thousands of people underneath them working in congressional offices, working for conservative presidents, working for think tanks, and working for other political entities that have way more influence than people realize. And the conservative movement and Republican Party have very poorly indexed on making sure that those people are the right people over the last few years. Absolutely. We need to make sure they have the right worldview. We need to make sure they're competent. We need to make sure they're of good character. And so solving that problem is what American Moment exists to do. And this is the key, because when those 20-year-olds get done working in those congressional offices, that is the class of people that go on to lead the particular movements. We have this weird idea that it's the individuals from the outside of the system that are always being brought in. No, you have to start at the ground floor and and work your way up through this hellhole swamp that we call our nation's capital. And you've been doing this for a couple of years now. What kind of people have you seen come through your program and, and what success have you seen so far? Well, we've had over, I think, a thousand people that we consider full, uh, fully part of our personal network, um, uh, actually closer to 12, 1300 now. And <laughs> that, that's incredible. throughout all of that, we've been adding people to Washington, helping them get promoted quickly, training them on what they need to know, really just trying to occupy the bottom layers of that pyramid that any uh, complicated organization or system is. The idea is, is how do you create senior staffers, staffers 10 years earlier? And so we've been uh, working on basically caring about something that no one else is very motivated to care about, which is who's filling those intern positions, those staff assistant positions, those legislative correspondent and legislative aid positions. And it turns out if you get that question right and you sort of totally occupy the range of roles that are relevant, and it's not that many, it's it's less than 15,000, and that's inclusive of when we have a president in office. If you care intensely about those roles and make sure we put the right people in, the downstream impacts are truly great. It makes sure that when great conservatives get elected to office, that they have the ability to be active and capable on day one. It makes it the case that, you know, your kind of replacement rate congressman can be better, vote better, be more effective. And it might even make the worst ones a little bit less effective when the only staff in town are the great America First warriors that we've brought. So we're seeing the downstream consequences of that impact every single day. And it's a joy to do what we do. 
it's kind of a reversal of how education colleges do things because education colleges, by making sure all of their staff are on the left and that the only resources for educators are on the left, a couple decades down the line, all of a sudden, the only superintendents that you have to choose from based on your state's doctoral requirements and your licensing requirements are these hyper leftist nutcases. You guys are doing the exact opposite. You're investing early. And this is incredible because, again, for those of you who have not worked in any kind of politics, you do not know how depressingly awful representative and, and staffing individuals on the bottom rungs are. And I'm not talking about their political views are awful, although oftentimes, you know, they are. I mean, the, the sheer incompetence. You need to train up young men in the way that they should go, really grabbing a hold of that verse in Psalms and making it a life motto. And that's what American Moment is doing. And if it sounds like I'm really passionate about this, it's because I am. Because I'm a young man that's going into this broadcasting part of conservatism that's jumped through. And I have a passion for seeing conservatism advance. And many of you out there are voters who have a passion for seeing conservatism advance because the culture of our country is not just at stake. It is in a, a crumpled heap of a mess. And if we don't start investing in this race like it's a marathon, like I was talking about on the show yesterday, then we're not going to win any races. Short sprints don't fix a country. And, and certainly Politico's taken notice. I mean, I, I'm reading this article, uh, and, and this is by Ian Ward. And my goodness, <laughs> talking about the difference between your office, which is more based on this, this culture of bringing dudes in and strengthening them from the ground up instead of this polished nonsense. I mean, this is something else, man. You guys are doing what nobody else is doing. Thanks. Yeah, the the piece about our office culture was was really quite funny. I mean, look, there's a lot of glass and steel buildings in Washington. Ours is more scrappy than that. It's a couple feet from the U.S. Capitol and is basically our clearing ground. It's where we bring people in for those meetings, talking about how to get them that next job. It's where we do a lot of our training programs, and it's where you know, in in one of the back rooms, we have six desks lined up against the wall in one pit, and that's where the entire team works. It's a nimble operation because. Frankly, there's no way to do this at scale in the way that you would in the private sector. It has to be done by hand. One of the analogies I use for what it is that I'm in the business of doing is, is stitching together the conservative movement's uh, personnel like a quilt, you know, one patch at a time and basically adding one out of those, you know, 15,000 every day or so. And within 10 years, our goal is to make sure that we have as many of those people as humanly possible so that you have a fundamentally different uh, governing consensus in this country. And I I think that we will succeed. This is one of the things that I want to point people to, because a lot of people who are listening are, are parents who have of students that are in college that are looking around and they may find a college Republican chapter on campus. And that's fine. They may find a young conservatives chapter or maybe a YAF chapter. Uh, I know that I've worked with a lot of different interns at the Heritage Foundation who are great. Uh, but Sarab, tell uh, us how maybe some individuals can learn more about American Moment and if they actually want to make a real difference that lasts a lifetime and beyond, uh, where do they go and how do they do it? For sure. Our website, American Moment, is the one-stop shop. Look, if you know a young person that is interested in making the jump, coming to work in Washington, being involved as a staffer, um, or someone that might be interested in doing that, AmericanMoment.org slash join. Fill out that form. It takes less than five minutes, and we will meet with you, and we will figure out how to get that young person involved. It's what we're here for. Um, I personally still put a stamp of approval on every single personal recommendation we send out the door because this is white glove service. If you're a young, talented, America-first, competent, good character person, we will go to the bat for you. We will 
mortgage our credibility and vast amounts of resources to make sure that people that meet those criteria are as influential as possible as quickly as possible. It's the first organization like it to exist. Um, and I'm truly grateful to lead it. And I'm grateful that you let me talk a little bit about it, Tony. Oh no, it's a pleasure, and and I'm I'm not a uh, a former cadre of American Moment, although genuinely I wish I could go back and have have done so. And there's not every interview that on the show that I actually slap the website on the Chiron on screen, uh, as you can see I'm doing so right now because the work is that important. Settle in for the marathon because this country is worth saving. So Rob Sharma, thanks for joining us. You are listening to the Tony Kinnicast on ninety three WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIPC. It is my favorite time of year because it's the time of fall when everyone kind of starts moving from, uh, oh, it's just perfect apple picking weather to uh, that cold gray weather, which everyone but me hates. And I like cold gray weather, honestly, just because. Um, I feel like I'm alone when I'm out in it and you just you and nature. And there is something about just feeling like you're the only person outside uh, that is just fantastic. And no, that doesn't have anything to do with this current segment. I just thought I would share that with you as I uh, sip a little Earl Grey tea on this fine fall evening. This is the Tony Kinnick cast. And I want to talk a little bit about my issues with polling. And uh, no, I don't mean pulling like when people are, are trying to pull a door that clearly says push and putting our public school systems education to the test. No, I mean polling. Like when someone calls you and asks what person you're going to vote for or when you see those surveys online or more recently on social media that says, who do you think won the last GOP presidential debate? Or do you think Hunter Biden's going to get thrown in prison and then super prison? Those kind of polls. Because... When we're in the middle of primary season, and I mean we're right in the thick of just how intense every single debate is and all of the primary campaigns are in full swing and everyone's attacking each other and and everyone's claiming they were the first to reach a certain point, whether it's on foreign policy or the economy or whatever else, you start hearing about how every single comment changes things in the polls. And look, certain polls are... I guess, more reliable than others. Uh, But when I was in graduate school, we took several large statistics classes because we were expected to analyze all of the survey data. And one of the things I will never forget, one of my professors, who was actually a decent professor, he he worked for a living, and uh, he was very interested in good, solid data. He sat down one day on the edge of the desk, which is how you know you're getting a really good lecture, and he said, polling and surveys are nowhere near as good as they were 10 years ago, and they are becoming more worthless by the day. And it was a weird thing to hear because, you know, you hear this kind of stuff in politics all the time, but he elaborated just a little bit uh, by saying that, first of all, people don't like being contacted anymore. People don't like receiving surveys. There was a time 
when receiving a survey or a contact from a pollster was a lot like when you first move out of the house and you get mail for the first time. And it's exciting. You're like, ooh, someone wants to talk to me. You know, someone wants to hear my opinion. And then social media came out and the entire world is everyone else's opinion. And polls and surveys from, you know, inside your office, how is your boss doing surveys that they totally promise are confidential, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, all the way to uh, polls around the country, you know, saying who you're going to vote for or whether you support this policy proposal or not. People don't really have an interest in answering those anymore. Number two, polls have an extreme uphill battle with a lot of people that are using ad blockers now that are preventing them from even seeing polls in the first place online, uh, spam filters, which remove them from when you're getting text messages from poll firms or emails from poll firms, uh, or my personal favorite, uh, when you pick up the phone these days, you might notice that there's kind of a little bit of silence on the air before someone starts talking to you. And With an automated phone system, that's because the computer inside the other side of the call is trying to determine whether you're a human or not. And that system is used by, you know, scam call centers over in places like India and China, as well as poll firms and nonprofit firms here in the U.S. And there's a tell that a lot of us have developed for when that system recognizes that you're a human. It plays a little beep over the phone. You guys know what it sounds like this. And as soon as you hear that little, you hang up the phone because you know that it's either going to be a telemarketer that's trying to sell you um, some kind of insurance scam knockoff. And it's going to be that woman's voice going, hello, hello, until you hang up the phone. Or it's going to be someone asking you something regarding polling or some kind of a survey. Americans are not answering polls anymore. Unless, as my professor in the, the decent one said, A third thing applies, which is the reason polls are garbage. People only answer polls based on their own personal conceived biasy providers, which is a very fancy way of saying people only answer polls with organizations they like. So, for example, when Fox News does a poll and says, hey, Fox News viewers, who are you voting for for president? You know, I'm going to guess that more Republicans are going to answer that poll than Democrats in the same way that an MSNBC poll is going to favor Democrats. So you have this problem of poll anemia in which polls aren't being answered anymore. Number two, the results are skewed by weird biases. And then uh, polls aren't being driven as much uh, based on a lot of filtering things that are already getting them out of people's faces. The fourth problem is there's a lot of artificial manipulation. You see this on social media a lot in which uh, People will share polls with the intention of kind of pressing their fingers down on the scale uh, to change the outcome. So I've seen this before quite a bit when like a teacher's union will say, do you really want Moms for Liberty messing with your children? And then Moms for Liberty will share the poll. And then all of the people following Moms for Liberty will, of course, go and vote. Yes, I actually want Moms for Liberty, you know, to, to work on my local school board. And this kind of insane weirdness seems to stop as soon as we start seeing polls go in the way that we like. So this week, CNN's been flipping out because a lot of national polls say that Trump is running even with President Biden in polls in battleground states. These are the same people who will say that polls don't matter at other times of the year. And the polls also matter because Trump is up in this particular GOP primary. And it doesn't matter, though, because this other poll says that Trump can't win. 
I am going to suggest perhaps a, a, a different notion. Because a lot of political pundits right now say you have to kind of take polls into account because polls are the only data that you have. And that's true. Polls are the only data that you have. But polls are getting things more wrong, are, are more mistaken by the day as we continue on. And it is very important to keep that in mind because as we go into the 2024 election season, you're going to see a lot of people saying that they do or don't need to do a certain amount of work in certain areas because the polls already say this or the other. Remember, that's what cost Hillary Clinton the election in 2016. The polls showed that she was way up in Wisconsin and Michigan, so she didn't visit there before the election, and that's what carried Trump over the line. In the same way, Trump kind of didn't really care uh, and, and kind of focused on the wrong polls before the end of the 2020 election, and then ended up gutting him really badly in several places. The same polls that you rely on shouldn't be relied on as much. And uh, basically, the end result is that you should be giving all of your effort into a campaign. So with a grain of salt, polling is no longer as valuable as it used to be. Up next, we're going to be talking a little bit about AI and uh, all of the doomsday conversation that's coming about AI. So get out your tinfoil hats. We're going to be talking about that next on the Tony Kinnett Show, or excuse me, the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIB. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. See. It's the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. Good evening. It is the funniest thing in the world to see people freaking out over AI because partly I understand. Uh, I get it The from the left and the right, honestly. So anytime something new pops up, it terrifies the right because uh, the right is, first of all, always scared of change. You know, being a conservative, you know, we kind of want things to stay the same. Uh, again, that's the Ron Swanson uh, ethic. You know, I just want everything to stay the same. And I get that. Um, there's the libertarian paranoia that everything is a statist plot, uh, you know, because it is two times out of three. Um, so they're afraid that AI is going to take over the world and uh, libertarians watch movies. And that's just reality to base their paranoia on, which, again, you know, they're right two out of three times. And then there's the left. And the left is terrified of AI for two reasons. Number one, the left is scared of libertarians. And the left thinks that libertarians are going to create this race of robots that are really sexist and racist and homophobic and transphobic and polyphobic and um, all of the other phobics. Um, and the other half of the left is uh, really scared of AI um, because they think that AI is, is going to be just this amalgamous mass that they can't attack. So it's, it's going to be like this really crazy business venture um, that they're, they're not going to be able to kind of hold control over. So all of the sides right now are, are trying to react to AI. So the White House released an AI protocol with Kamala Harris, um, the woman who sings the wheels on the bus go round and round, uh, not like a normal person sings it, 
Um, but like someone who's never really heard a nursery rhyme before that, you know, you're trying to describe to them. Uh, so that's great. And basically has released an entire executive order saying you can't make AI robots that are racist and sexist and all of the stuff from before, even though there was no one out there that was making AIs that, that did that. And then on the other side, you have all of the kind of the populist paranoia crowd on from some of the areas on the right saying that AI is, is someday going to like sort us all into different concentration camps of the state, which is its own brand of a little bit weird. AI is nothing special. And I'm going to give you two reasons why. Uh, reason number one is the most honest to God good reason. You are made in God's image. You are made in God's image, which means that you have... Uh, you have certain qualities that imbue the creator, uh, things like creativity, a desire to create, a desire to improve, um, a desire to make things more efficient, uh, a desire to sort and categorize because it is good and beautiful, a knowledge of what makes something good and bad or beautiful or ugly. These are values and, and things that are imbued in you naturally. Uh, the the farthest tribes that have not spoken with the rest of mankind for thousands of years have these natural traits within them. And this is something that is only found in humans. Dogs, cats, other animals in the animal kingdom, they do not have a creative bone in their body. For them, it is the shortest point from A to B. AI, as strong as it ever will be, will only ever be able to imitate. It does not have a soul. You cannot artificially create consciousness. We have tried. Oh boy, gee golly willikers, have we tried. It will never be able to be creative. It will never be able to uh, decide what is good or beautiful. At the very best, you can feed it 400,000 images of something that is good or beautiful, and it will try its best to imitate it. You say, well, how do you know this? Well, number one, because that's one of my jobs at the Daily Signal is actually to track different AI tools to experiment with them and see how they function. Uh, And It's really cool, but honestly, the best that AI can be right now is kind of what Microsoft Excel was to the business world in 1998. In 1998, Microsoft Excel expanded the line of equations that it could do. So basically, you could punch in a couple numbers and it could automatically sort some data. It could make some projections based on data that it already had, and it could graph them out for you in very pretty ways. And it revolutionized business. Microsoft Excel has revolutionized the business world to this day. Yet it has not replaced a lot of people that are a part of that environment. Because in order to do really good business, in order to do really good analysis, in order to truly predict human behavior, you need a human component. And so the best that AI is ever going to be is a really powerful tool in the hands of a person. Now, should that concern you? Absolutely it should. Anything wielded in the hands of a malevolent person is dangerous. A gun is simply a tool. A gun in the hands of a bad person is very dangerous, just as a gun in the hands of a good person is a very good thing. AI can either be a very excellent tool that we can use to learn a lot of things really quickly, to analyze things and produce new content. For example, I took Jordan Peterson's voice and made it read the first chapter of The Hobbit, because that seems like the kind of thing that Jordan Peterson would do. That, in my mind, is good. It provided some entertainment. It was kind of funny. I had it mimic Tony Katz's voice, which annoyed him. To me, that was very funny. 
Uh, however, you can also take AI and do things that are rather awful. You can use facial recognition software like the Chinese Communist Party does to maintain social scores. You can use predictive behavior in order to accuse someone of a crime before they've done so. But you can only do that if there's someone on the other end of the AI itself using it as a tool. Again, AI is only going to be a powerful tool that needs an owner to wield it because AI cannot in and of itself be creative and it doesn't have a soul. And that should be encouraging to you. You are infinitely more valuable. You are infinitely more creative and you are infinitely more in your potential to be something, whether that's good or bad, far more than some computer program ever could be, which means that you're worth investing in. AI is a fantastic tool. I plan on using it a lot more over the next couple of years. But as far as the left and the right losing their ever-loving minds and saying that we finally reached the age where Hollywood was right all along, I'd like to remind you that Hollywood is the same set of studios that produced The Day After Tomorrow, in which climate change in uh, 2012 was going to wreck across the entire world and Yellowstone was going to erupt. Uh, and that was in 2012, not the day after tomorrow, and that everything was going to be terrible if we didn't stop boiling coal today. No, that's not the case. Fanciful pictures of the future are still fanciful pictures of the future. Like George Orwell's 1984, there are certain aspects of it that are true, but letting your imagination run away with you until you make really insane, nonsensical policies like, hey, don't make that robot racist and sexist, is patently silly. And with that said, go into this Veterans Day weekend with a little bit of comfort that you're not as crazy as all of the other wackadoodles in Washington, D.C. I mean, really, that, that's something that should be a cause for celebration. Because somewhere in the marbled halls of limestone that Indiana donated to help build the Capitol, by the way, there is some poor, sad intern that has been tasked with writing some diverse equity, inclusion, nonsensical script oversight project for chat GPT and imagine how sad your life has to be right now when you could be enjoying a nice hot cup of tea listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC and reflecting on the wonderful things in this world that don't require a computer a robot or any other kinds of hypersensical nonsense to focus on and with all of those things at the end of this fine episode I would like to thank you for helping us get through our very first week here with the Tony Kinnick cast. Uh, we've had some technical hiccups as we've tried to balance the studio between Indianapolis with Allison at the keyboard. Thank you very much, Allison, by the way, uh, as well as, you know, kind of balancing things here at the studio. We've got a lot of great guests coming up next week. Uh, in the, uh, let's say in the chamber for the next couple of weeks, we have libs of TikTok coming up. Senator Ted Cruz, uh, as well as a lot of other local WIBC talent that's going to be causing all kinds of nightmarish chaos. And so, with that said, I hope that you all have an excellent weekend. Christ is King. Uh, this has been the Tony Kinnick cast on 93 WIBC.